We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report, your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usay Koshal. Usay, we are recording this episode on Monday, April 5th here, as the weeks are starting to wind down, uh, heading into the NFL draft. You know, this is the last, we're, we're entering April here, so it's crazy that the draft is almost here in sight. It really is. I mean, and the time went by real fast just between, I mean, obviously you have a pandemic still going on. So we had like a partial pre-draft process this year in the sense that last year we had no scouting combine. We had zero pro days and it was all just, Hey, rely on the tape this year though. We kind of returned to normal, but it really wasn't 110% normal. So I'm really intrigued to see kind of what goes down because it's like, the story of this draft class, we know has been quarterbacks. All right. We know the wide receivers have been getting all the love. We know that there's a pretty good tight end class out there too. Everyone's got to go over the offensive line. And there are certain positional groups that just have not gotten enough love, but there's some really intriguing prospects as well. So I'm excited for what's to come over the next three weeks here. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to be slowly going crazy as we lead up to the draft here, just because there's not a ton going on in the NFL right now in terms of news, although we did get some things today and really more recently. So I guess we can start there for today's podcast. Uh, 
talking over, you know, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, they had a little press conference here a few days ago, just kind of breaking down things as they head into the draft, I guess. And, you know, you say we've broken down a couple of these press conferences here briefly over, you know, the past few weeks or so that they've done. You know, I think the general sentiment is still there that there's really nothing much to take away in terms of, you know, what you can, especially from Ryan Pace, I feel like there's really just nothing there that you can kind of, you know, grab onto there and really roll with it. But, uh, you know, what were some of your general takeaways from their press conference in general? I mean, my biggest takeaway was this, right, is that, yeah, the history repeats itself is my biggest takeaway because Pace has done this in the past in a sense that he doubled down on Mike Glennon being the starter. He doubled down on Mitch Trubisky being the starter. And at the end of the 2019 season going into 2020, and now all of a sudden seemingly he's doubled down on Andy Dalton being the starter, all right? And so we look at this and we realize those factors don't add up at all, right? Because when you double down on Glennon, you drafted Trubisky. When you double down on Trubisky in 2019 – or I'm sorry, 2020, you went ahead and you traded for Nick Foles. And now you double down on Andy Dalton, which means that there's another quarterback move that's on the way. But just in general, you know, I think with the Bears and Pace, what it is is this more so, is that they realized that, okay, this was really going to be an offseason of transition in the sense that we knew we were going to close the chapter on Mitch Trubisky. And so we're bringing in Andy Dalton. And we know that Andy Dalton's not the hottest name on the market, but he is a guy that we believe is good enough. So the Bears with Pace and what it is is this, it's like they're pushing all their chips on the table for Andy Dalton. And there's the whole arguments between fans on social media and whatnot of oh my god Andy Dalton's been named quarterback one it's just like yeah Andy Dalton's gonna be your starter to open up the season just like Ryan Pace mentioned or alluded to would be better terminology but at the end of the day what the Bears didn't say and what Pace didn't mention is how long Andy Dalton would be the starter and so the reality of the situation is that teams do this all the time in this league it's just like they're gonna give you an answer in the moment and then they will go completely 360. And I think that that's exactly what Pace and the Bears are going to do. Because I just don't see a scenario where they believe that Andy Dalton's going to be a guy that's starting all 16, or I'm sorry, all 17 games going into 2021. Yeah, I kind of condition myself not to uh, really trust anything that Ryan Pace says in any of his press conferences. We've kind of just, we've seen this, like you said, this rodeo happened before where he's going to say one thing in his press conference and, and really make it, uh, you know, known to the media that he believes one thing and then he does another thing um, later on. And we saw, we've seen that plenty of times um, over the few years here uh, with Ryan Pace, especially at the quarterback position. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to take anything he says about that, or I should say, I'm going to take everything he says about that position with a grain of salt here, because I know that he likes to keep everything close to the chest and he wants to uh, make sure that he doesn't make his intentions known uh, to the media here. You know, I, I thought it was it was kind of funny. He when they uh, asked him about you know how they view Andy Dalton, he says he that they view him as a starting quarterback. He didn't mention that we view him as the starting quarterback. Or, you know, just kind of to get a little bit specific there. So maybe you can kind of read into that and, and say that always oh, kind of being non-committal there. But you know, we knew what they were going to do there with that. We knew they were going to be you know they were going to commit to Andy Dalton in the press conference. There, they did mention that they are you know going over scenarios where they draft a quarterback on day two. So that wasn't too surprising either. Although I think we always knew that was probably going to be the case anyway, regardless of what move they made at quarterback in this off season. 
Um, but in terms of other news um, on the press conference front, you know, looking at Matt Nagy, I think the biggest takeaway here, obviously, and really the only thing I think we can actually glean from this entire thing was that he's going to be pl- uh, calling plays once again in 2021. And Bears fans really freaked out over this um, on Twitter um, when that was that news was released. You know, my personal take on it, you say it is that really in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it matters that much who was calling the plays because if you don't think that Matt Nagy had a huge role in play calling and uh, game planning and, and, you know, what they were doing there late in the season when he officially um, put play calling duties on Bill Lazor's plate to end the year, then you don't know how an offensive you know, coaching staff goes about putting together game plans and, and what the head coach's role in that if he's an offensive guy. So, you know, I, I personally don't think it matters too much. I think the biggest reason why we saw so much success for the offense late in the year was just because of the fact that they played crappy defenses. I mean, we saw, again, late in the year and against the Packers and the Saints that they went up against good defenses. And what do you know, the offense looks the exact same it has as it had the rest of the year before that. So, again, I don't think it's a big deal either way in my opinion I think it's a big deal for Matt Nagy in terms of him trying to save his job here um, when you put it into that perspective but overall I think the offense is going to be pretty similar regardless of who call of who's calling the plays you know what what are your thoughts on that situation there I think when we look at the Andy Dalton I'm sorry not Andy Dalton but the Bill Lazor offense through that stretch where Lazor was calling games compared to the Matt Nagy, you realize that it's very prevalent. The Bears ran two different schemes just because they had two different styles of quarterback last year. Okay, so with Trubisky, you had something that was more play action, you know, more designed to like run the ball. With Nick Foles, they had the highest run to pass or pass to run ratio in the NFL. Where with Foles, they started him for seven games. And in the seven games, they did not even crack 100 yards once in terms of rushing. And so ultimately, I look at it, it's like Matt Nagy's going to take play calling over. Why? Because he feels like now he has a quarterback, Andy Dalton, who, again, Andy Dalton is not the best quarterback in the world, but he's still had much better moments in his career throughout the 10-year run that he had in Cincinnati where he was significantly better than anything that Foles or Trubisky put on tape in 2020. So ultimately, I look at it, I realize usually what happens with teams is this, is that the top guy, right? So it's like if it's an offensive guy, that head coach is going to be calling the play. Similarly, you have a team like the Minnesota Vikings, where because Mike Zimmer is a defensive-minded guy, and that's his background, he's going to be calling the plays for the defense. So this really isn't something that's surprising to me, because usually if you're a head coach and your background is offense or defense, you're going to be calling plays on that side of the ball. And I get the play calling and everything's been an issue for the Bears over the last couple of years, but ultimately in this league, it comes down to the quarterback. And so when you have erratic quarterback play that forces you to change your game plans up on the fly. And the bears have had erratic quarterback play over the last couple of years. Right. And so now you realize that moving forward, maybe with Dalton, the play calling and the offense really continues to stabilize a bit, but overall, I'm not surprised that Matt Nagy's retaining the play calling because I remember him saying at one point in 2020, he's just like, look, we look over this every week. The play calling is not an issue. And just that comment right there, at some point in 2020 that there just speaks to me and Nagy was calling plays by the way that essentially speaks tells me that the whole thing with laser was totally temporary they did it for a couple games to see what would happen 
But even that, it's just like the results were okay, but they didn't instantly jump off the screen. And so now Nagy's kind of rolling his dice and doing it again. And especially it's important that he's doing it again, especially because you're at a point now where your job's on the line and you're doing everything you can to save your job at this point. Yeah, and again, like you said, you know, they, they ran two different offenses last year and everyone wants to kind of paraphrase it as kind of like the Bill Lazor offense late in the year. No, they they specifically installed that offense in there for Mitch Trubisky specifically. If you look at what they were doing in weeks one through three with Trubisky at quarterback, they were running the exact same offense. Maybe not to as high of a degree with the play action and the under center stuff as they did late in the year. They kind of increased that a little bit as the season went on. But yeah, they they specifically installed that stuff for Trubisky to you know get the most out of him. Um, that was specifically installed there for Trubisky. So yeah, I. I agree at that point you know it wasn't the laser offense laser runs elements of that in his offense which is something that i found going back and watching Andy dalton tape from 2017 and 2018 but they're they're going to be a pass happy offense i believe uh with Andy dalton coming in here we know matt Nagy wants to throw the ball a bit more he wants to have a quarterback that can handle those duties in the pocket and actually process and read defenses effectively and look like you said Andy dalton he's nothing special he's definitely a league average quarterback in terms of you know he's probably a low-end starter but really really high-end backup there um I would say even closer to the the low-end starter um tier of a player he says he's a solid NFL quarterback so he's going to be able to run what Matt Nagy wants Mm -hmm. to do there uh you know will it be effective who knows they need to they still need to surround him with talent at wide receiver and tight end they still need to upgrade the offensive line a little bit and we'll see what they if they can do that in the draft but it really comes down to that uh, last thing here you say before we get into the real the main topic of today's episode there was a trade that went down today like literally a few hours ago what are your quick thoughts on the Sam Darnold trade because for those who don't know the, the Carolina Panthers traded uh, a sixth round pick this year and a second round pick and fourth round pick in the 2022 NFL draft for Sam Darnold you know what are your quick thoughts there on that trade before we get into the main topic of today's episode so it's a move that you look at, and honestly, I thought Sam Darnold was going to be moved this offseason. I just didn't know when. I just didn't know where. And obviously, the Bears were one of the teams that were kind of floated around Sam Darnold with all the rumors and chatter that you hear in February and the early parts of March. But I look at it and I realize, okay, the Panthers are committing to Sam Darnold for the next two years because shortly after he got traded – Another report came out saying that they're picking up his fifth-year option. I think when we look at Matt Rule, who actually interviewed for the Jets head coaching job in 2018, right? He had an opportunity to kind of do his homework on Sam Darnold. I believe it was 2019 where Rule interviewed for New York's head coaching job, but he did his homework on Sam Darnold at that point. So you see it. This is just a classic cage of a head coach that had somewhat of a prior history with a quarterback, and he wanted to bring that quarterback over. And I get people are like, well, Sam Darnold's washed up. You can't bring him in here. He's a totally failed project. I think situation matters, right? So now we get to see what Sam Darnold can really do because the Jets screwed him over. He didn't really screw the Jets over. And now you get him into the Carolina Panthers offense, right? You have Joe Brady there, the offensive coordinator that a lot of people think is going to be a head coach at some point, even as soon as 2022. 
All right. Then you have Christian McCaffrey there. So you have that excellent running back. You have some guys, solid tight ends, guys like Dan Arnold, um, Curtis Samuel, I believe is still there. DJ Moore's there. David Moore's there. So you have some good pass catchers. They have Roby Anderson and they have a pretty solid offensive line. So now all of a sudden, right. And you combine that with an emerging defense. And I think Sam Darnold's finally in a position to succeed because the other half of it is the fact that the Jets, as soon as they're picking at second overall, they were going to have their options of quarterbacks besides Trevor Lawrence. And there's realistically four guys that they could have taken at second overall. But now what happens with the Jets is this, right? Is they get extra draft capital, all right? They also get their quarterback of the future because they have 21 picks over the next couple of years. And then for Carolina, you're picking at eighth overall. So now you're in a point where you're not going to have to trade up and get any or give up any significant draft capital to get a guy like a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance. What's really going to happen is now you can use that pick to add to your already emerging roster. And for Carolina, you know, Maybe they go ahead and they grab a, a guy like J.C. Horn or a Patrick Sertain. Maybe they add an edge rusher. You know, maybe they go ahead and add another offensive tackle to the draft class or to their roster, or they go ahead and they draft a wide receiver. So with Carolina, right, what this does is this is it really opens up their options because now they're not they don't have to hitch their bandwagon to a quarterback. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel. I honestly feel pretty negative about this for Carolina. I'll kind of go the opposite way from you here on this one specifically, because, you know, I'll say this. I'm, I'm really glad the bears didn't pay that price for Sam Darnold because, you know, there's very few quarterbacks that I would take that I would take. Um, you know, how do I want to put this? Uh, there are very few quarterbacks in the NFL that I'd be, be comfortable with Mitch Trubisky starting over. And Sam Darnold is one of those few quarterbacks where I'd feel much better about Trubisky starting over him um, at this point. And that doesn't even account for the fact that he's Sam Darnold's costing you uh, pretty significant draft capital and they're guaranteeing him $23 million over the next few years to play for him because they did pick up his fifth year option. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I personally just don't get this for Carolina and I'll keep this as brief as possible, but uh, yeah, it's just weird for me because there are, I don't think they're a team that's a quarterback away. Um, and they did lose Curtis Samuel this offseason to the Washington football team. So that's a weapon that they don't, they no longer have on the roster there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like, there are so many needs on this roster, you know, their defense. Yeah. They're young. They spent a bunch of draft picks on fixing that defense in last year's draft, but there's still, you know, quite a few pieces away there from being a pretty good defense you know, there's the offense. I, I do like Joe Brady. Um, I think he can help Sam Donald quite a bit there. Um, but again, how long is Joe Brady going to be there? Joe Brady does a good job. He's going to be getting a head coaching job somewhere else next year. So he's not really in the long-term plans, I believe, for the Panthers at that offensive coordinator spot there. So can you replicate that long-term um, if Sam Donald's your guy going forward? And yeah, I'm just looking at this roster here. I mean, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, that's a good uh, starting duo on the outside at wide receiver. You like that. You like Christian McCaffrey out of the back. Like you said, if he's healthy, he's one of the best weapons in the NFL. So that helps your quarterback out a ton there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that offensive line, I mean, Taylor Moten's a stud at right tackle, but what else do they have there? I mean, they're starting Greg Little or Cam Irving at left tackle as of right now. Uh, Pat Elfline is starting at one of their guard spots and he's one of the worst guards in football. So do they have the offensive line to protect Sam Darnold? I'm not sure. You know, if they invest a lot in the offensive line in this draft, I think that could help them out. 
uh, quite a bit there because there are a bunch of question marks all over that offensive line as well, besides right tackle, which obviously Morton's a stud there at right tackle. So that's going to be interesting um, how they handle that. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm just glad the Bears aren't making this risk because it is a huge risk um, because Sam Darnold, he's been one of the worst quarterbacks. I get it. Adam Gaze, the Jets, terrible situation. You know, it was there are very few quarterbacks that could have gone into that situation and developed properly. And especially for Sam Darnold, who's still so young. I think he's only like 23, 24 years old. So um, maybe he turns around. But yeah, it's, it's a risk for the Carolina Panthers because I don't think they're a quarterback away from being a contending team. Um, and does this really upgrade them from Teddy Bridgewater? I'm not sure. But uh, enough of that because we have uh, a big topic today for our episode, and that's previewing this year's upcoming edge class for the 2021 NFL draft. So we're going to be doing what we usually do here, our top five guys at the position, sleepers, overhyped guys, and then what we think the Bears should do to handle that position when draft day does come along. So we're going to get to that real quickly here. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break here um, before we get to our top five edge rushers. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here at Picks for Pace going over our top five edge players in this year's upcoming class. You know, you say this edge class is pretty interesting because while they don't really have, it doesn't really have that, you know, Chase Young or a Bosa brother or, you know, Watt brother type of prospect here to kind of get you excited in the top of the draft. I do feel like it's a pretty deep class on day two, early day three. There are some guys I think could be very good value in this draft, but specifically looking at the top here, who are your top five guys going into this draft here? Number one, I have Jalen Phillips from Miami. And what I like about his game is that he's very exciting against the pass and run. I like the size, the strength, and the technique that Phillips brings to the table. I think that it's some of the best technique in this draft class. And then just looking at his tape throughout his time at Miami, I mean, you can line him up on the line of scrimmage or he can stand up. Number two, I have Michigan's Quiddy Payne. And I think that for Quiddy Payne, he has the highest ceiling of any edge rusher prospect in this draft class. When we watch his 2020 tape, there were a lot of explosive plays. All right. He's a great athlete and you see that on tape every single play. Then three, I've got Gregory Rousseau from Miami and Rousseau's interesting because heading into the college football season, a lot of people actually had it ranked as their number one edge rusher, but he opted out of the 2020 season. So there's a guy who hasn't played an actual football game in a year now, but he was one of the most productive edge rushers in college when he last played in 2019 with 19 and a half tackles and 15 and a half sacks. What I like about Rousseau is this, is the physical skill set is there that's really exciting, but he needs to develop as a pass rusher. He has to get better at processing what exactly is going on in front of him, and then he's just got to put all those tools that he has together to become a more complete player overall. And then number four is Aziz Oljulari from Georgia. 
I think great athleticism, all right, high motor, sets the edge real well, but just has to improve on his technique. And then number five is another really exciting prospect, Joseph Asai. And this is a player who, while at Texas, played linebacker and edge and then is very explosive all right the tools for him are very prevalent he just has to learn to use those tools to the fullest potential and then perhaps one of the most intriguing things about joseph asai is the fact that he started like 24 or 25 games over a three-year period at texas and he was highly productive as well because he had 30 tackles for a loss so overall when i look at this edge rusher class you know and my top five it's kind of like you said there's not a single home run hitter that you're going to find, not a guy that you're going to build around on your defense, but a couple really good serviceable players who I think are going to have solid careers in the NFL. Yeah, this one was tough to rank for me. I agree 100% on your top two guys here. So Jalen Phillips, I love that you put him number one because in my opinion, he's not only the best edge in this class by far for just going purely off the tape, but I mean, I, I would put him up I think he's the closest thing to a Chase Young, Water, Bosa in this class. I think in most years, we're looking at him as a top 10, top five uh, prospects just overall in the draft. Um, but we'll get to it a little later. There are some reasons why he could be in in play for a huge fall here. But number two, I equate pay out of Michigan. I, I agree. I think he has a pretty complete skill set if he can refine his game a little bit. But I mean, he's quick. He's explosive. Uh, those are traits that should translate to the next level. Uh, he does need a lot of work with his technique, in my opinion, and his instincts aren't the greatest. Uh, so that's maybe something that needs to get coached up for him. I don't know if he'll be a guy that's an impact day one uh, contributor, but I think he's someone that with a year or two to develop could develop into a high end starter at the edge position. Um, maybe just needs a year or two to kind of develop there. My number three guy, this is where we get out of the first round here uh, going into these next three guys. And I had a tough time. This is really where it kind of got tough for me because there's like six or seven guys that I could, you know, kind of rank in any type of order here. But if we're looking at things here, just purely for what I want an edge rusher, and you know, Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma, uh, probably the safest edge in this class. If you're just looking for day one impact, long-term starter type guy, uh, Z's Ajulari is my number four guy as well. Um, and then Joseph Asai, Texas, he's my number five guy. Some other names here that I kind of kept on my radar, uh, Carlos Basham, uh, is another one out of Wake Forest. Uh, he was very good down at the Senior Bowl. He has one of the strongest, probably the most strongest, powerful hands in this draft. And he's extremely quick um, in a phone booth there. Uh, Peyton Turner out of Houston, a very intriguing player. Um, you know, kind of a small school type of guy. So those are kind of two other names to look out there. Um, but yeah, there's uh, a ton of edge talent in this class on day two that I think to take advantage of here. But I'll start off with Jalen Phillips because again, he's probably the most exciting guy. He's somebody that I would put, you know, money on the bank for in terms of and pound a table for as being a true dominant force at the next level. Cause he has every trait, every trick in the book in terms of uh, technique wise, you know, he can beat you with speed. He can beat with power. He's got polished technique. Like I said, uh, the real thing is, you know, the thing here is with him is can he stay healthy because, you know, Jalen Phillips, he's a five-star recruit uh, coming out of high school. And when he went to UCLA originally, you know, he's this guy that had a lot of hype around him, but he had to briefly retire actually due to concussions. And so you kind of worry about uh, the concussion issue going into the next level. And it wouldn't surprise me at all for Phillips to drop all the way into the second round because teams just might be scared off by the fact that he's one 
you know, bad hit away from potentially not playing anymore. And that's kind of a scary thing to invest in that guy that, you know, that high in the drafts with that level of, you know, variability there in his career, he could either be, you know, one of the best, best edge rushers in the NFL or a guy that's out of the league in a few years due to concussions. So you kind of worry about that. And that's kind of the main thing to keep in mind for Jalen Phillips. If he does fall a little bit, you know, it is the, there is some red flags there with his uh, health uh, history. Yeah. And, and the health history is interesting because I think typically what tends to happen is that players that do have this history of health, you know, and, this is one of the biggest things about not having a combine this year is the fact that we're not hearing so much, or there's not a lot out there, I should say, regarding the significant injury history that Jalen Phillips has. And so ultimately we look at a guy like him and you realize, okay, if there was a combine, we would definitely hear more about it. And we probably wouldn't be talking about Jalen Phillips as the first round prospect that some have kind of solidified him as, but then just overall between my list and your list, right? I would say right now, I mean, it's tough to see, an edge rusher getting selected in the first round, right? I mean, I think maybe Jalen Phillips is going to be the only guy that we see go day one. But then in terms of the rest of the list, like Payne, Rousseau, Ojolari, Osai, you know, and some of the other guys that we'll get into here, I really think that though in this draft, where you're going to get your edge rusher is going to be on day two. I think that some of these guys are going to slip, which is going to make for some really nice day two steals. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the guy for me that kind of fits that bill perfectly is Ronnie Perkins. And, you know, you know, you had Gregory Rousseau as your number three guy. I did not have him on my list. Uh, just me personally with Rousseau, there's a, definitely a lot of potential there. But uh, being that his only tape is from his freshman year, uh, he didn't do well at his pro day. Um, and he's just kind of a weird fit. Uh, it's kind of like an outside inside rusher, but he's not the biggest guy in the world. Uh, kind of worries me a little bit there with Rousseau, but there's definitely a lot of talent there to unlock. But the thing with Perkins here for me, I said it before, he's probably the safest edge in this class in terms of, you know, I just feel like he's a guy that's going to be drafted on day two and he's just going to be really solid for you from day one. You know, he's good against both the pass and the run. He can set the edge really well. Uh, has pretty good instincts to make plays down the line of scrimmage, which I really like as well. You know, he's not the most explosive or bendy athlete in the world, but he's got very strong hands. He really packs a punch there. And, you know, while he's not going to get those highlight real quick wins off the line of scrimmage, he just generates consistent pressure on the quarterback, which is something I really like about him. Uh, he does a really nice job of converting speed to power. Um, that's really his best trait in terms of his bull rush. Um, you know, funny, his, probably his best tape uh, or best play from this last season that I saw was against Tevin Jenkins, who's one of the strongest, meanest dudes in this draft at right tackle for Oklahoma State. And Ronnie Perkins just flat out just knocked him on his ass in the bull rush um, earlier in 2020 when they played each other. You know, there are not many edge rushers in this class. And they're, you know, other than the great ones, there's not going to be too many in the NFL that will be able to knock over Tevin Jenkins like that at the next level. And Ronnie Perkins made it look easy. So uh, he's a very strong player at the point of attack. I really like his game overall. I don't think he's ever going to be a Pro Bowl or all pro type of player. But on day two, you're not really looking for that. You're looking for a guy that can maybe be that number two, you know, a high-end number two edge rusher on your team and just be a solid player all around. I think Perkins brings that to the table. Yeah, Perkins is very interesting to me because you realize, okay, over this – last three years at Oklahoma, you know, he was one of the more productive players, 
on the defensive side of the ball. And then just because he had 32 tackles for a loss, I mean, 16 and a half sacks, which are really good numbers for, you know, a guy like Ronnie Perkins, especially because Oklahoma plays in the Big 12 and everyone's just like, the Big 12 does not play defense at all. But I really like what Perkins brings to the table because it's just like when you watch him on tape, you know, one of my biggest things was when I was watching one of his games, you know, it was just like, wait, what weight is this guy listed at? Because to me, it was like, wait, is he going to be one of the heaviest edge rushers in this class? And turns out, you know, he's listed at 251, you know, which if you look at some of the edge rushers that have come out over the last couple of years, he's right there in that weight class. And some of those guys, you know, have gone on to have pretty solid careers. And so I think for a guy like Perkins, it's the same thing here. He's going to look a lot bigger on tape when you're watching him, but he just really seems to carry the weight that he has onto his frame, like really well. Um, So with him, you know, it's one of those where like, I seriously think that had we had a combine, then he would, he would right now, honestly, for Perkins, right. He would be one of my biggest risers in this class. If we had like a actual and full pre-draft process. Yeah. He's 250 pounds of pretty much all muscle there. And you can just tell he's got a really nice filled out frame. You know, keep in mind for, you know, guys that might not think that's too huge. I mean, Khalil Mack, he's about 250, 255 pounds, and he's one of the strongest guys in the NFL. So Ronnie Perkins, he definitely has, uh, you know, that ability to – he's not going to be a Khalil Mack, obviously. He doesn't have the explosiveness or the bend that Khalil Mack has, you know, and just the other things that Khalil Mack does to impact the game. But, you know, Perkins definitely has that strength um, and that aspect of things in terms of, you know, generating power and, and bull rushing into the, into the pocket. You know, he has those things to his game that uh, is going to be really nice at the next level. But some of the other guys here on our four and five slot, you know, let's go with Aziz Ajulari here on George, because I don't know what your take on him, uh, you say it is, but he, to me, he's kind of a boomer bust pro- prospect here because he's probably the best pure a speed rusher in this class in terms of taking the edge and bending around the edge. Uh, he's just got incredible explosiveness and quickness, but you know, there are some issues for me here because he has like almost no ability to convert speed to power. So if he's not winning with his initial rush off the line of scrimmage or kind of taking advantage of an off to tackle, if they're leaning a little bit, can he use his hands to swipe them away um, with bat, you know, taking advantage of bad technique, basically, you know, it's really easy for these offensive tackles to basically take him out of the play and just wash him out because he just has no power to his game. He's easy, he's the exact opposite of Ronnie Perkins. You know, Ajilar, I think he's only around like 240 pounds. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Leonard Floyd, although, you know, Floyd was a bit longer than Ajilari was, but I like him as a 3-4 outside linebacker that can drop back in coverage a little bit, play a variety of different assignments there, and just use his speed on, on stunts and off the edge to kind of impact the play there. I do have questions about how he will hold up against the run in the NFL. He'll have to get stronger at the point of attack. You know, like you say, he does bring a nice punch with his hands setting the edge, so maybe he can hold up there. But I've seen plays where he just completely gets bullied out of the play by these tackles sometimes. So it is a bit of concern for me. Um he should not be a three down four, three defensive end. I think he should be purely be a three, four outside linebacker. I think that's the best position for him. You know, what are your thoughts on Ajilari as a whole? And do you think I'm off base in any of my concerns there? I don't think you're off base because what is with a guy like Ajilari is this, is that, okay, so he's a good athlete, right? And he's got a very high motor, like I mentioned a couple moments ago. And so the reality of the situation is that when you're a good athlete and you have a high motor, those are going to be two things that you primarily win with. And you have to make up for it by adding additional moves to your 
um, pass rushing arsenal, you have to make up for it, you know, by adding some extra weight, especially when you know that your offensive linemen at the next level are going to be bigger. They're going to be faster. They're going to be stronger. They're going to shut you down. And so ultimately when I look at Ojalari, you know, his biggest area where he needs to improve, and you alluded to this a bit too, right, was just like the technique. I think really the technique is what's holding him back right now from realizing what his true potential can be. And then just looking at his fit at the next level, right? I'd say he's probably going to be a rotational 3-4 outside linebacker to start his career. But then you realize by year two or by year three, if he lands in the right situation, if he gets the right fit, if you get a coach that's in a defensive coordinator, that's going to go ahead and help him figure out the technique and become a more complete player. Then he realizes full potential, but you mentioned him being a boomer bust prospect. I think I would agree with that, you know, because in the NFL, right. Especially when it comes to the draft, you're trying to project what these guys are going to become. And if you project it correctly, that's great. If you get it wrong, then well, you're wrong. Right. But for a guy like Ojalari, there's just like, it's like a, high risk, high reward type of um, situation that he's going to find himself in. Yeah. It's just tough to kind of project him. I kind of get Leonard Floyd vibes again, watching him play the speed and explosiveness is there. It's just can't you put it all together as a complete player. Another guy that I think is going to be a good fit as a three, four outside linebacker uh, going to the next level is our number five guy. Both of our number five guys should say, and, and that's Joseph Asai. You know, when I look at Asai, he's kind of a raw player, but versatile at the same time. Again, I think he's perfect for a 3-4 scheme because he has the power to set the edge, you know, on the outside there. And he does have some athletic ability to drop back in coverage. Like you kind of mentioned before, uh, he played off-ball outside linebacker at Texas uh, before this last season. Really, in 2020, you know, 2020 was really his first year as a full-time edge rusher. You can kind of tell watching him play that he's still, again, very raw in terms of putting everything together. You know, his, his pass rush plan doesn't really have a full package yet. So he needs to work on that at the next level. Probably not a guy you're expecting to be an impact player on day one, but you like the size, you like his length, you like the power that he brings. And he's got decent bend and athleticism as well. So there's lots of like with Joseph Asai. It's just a matter of can he get to the right situation and develop in the right spot. Yeah, Osai's very interesting because when you look at him, you realize, okay, so he's underdeveloped as a pass rusher, right? Or he needs to be better as a pass rusher, but kind of what keeps him going is really like the motor that he brings. And the well, I can, you know, it's very easy for me to tell like what players have high motors and which ones don't when I'm watching a lot of these prospects. So really the motor is what keeps Osai going. But also I think like we talk about a guy right that I think is still improving in the run game okay and he's gotten much much better as the 2020 season progressed while he was playing edge rusher and I think one of the most interesting things about Osai is I believe for his 40 yard dash time right he ran a 4-4 which when you compare it to some of the other guys you know in this class especially the edge rushers that is a pretty good time and so when I look at him you know Osai just overall it's a really solid he's a really solid player who's continuing to put all the tools together that he has and he's still really developing into a pass into a true pass rusher right would be the right terminology to use there so when i look at it forward you know i realize that this is going to be the type of player where it's like in terms of scheme fit you know he can play as a three four outside linebacker or he can play as a 
4-3 defensive end. So what he does is he offers you that versatility there. But I think that wherever he is, he's going to have a major impact. Yeah, me personally, I'd love to see him go to the Baltimore Ravens. I think he'd be a perfect fit for what they look for in three, four outside linebackers, kind of a pocket pushing big guy on the edge. I can do a couple different things. Just as a, a personal taste of mine, uh, looking at where he projects the NFL. But like I said before, there are a few other guys here that I was considering putting this top five, like Peyton Turner, another name to keep an eye on, Boogie Basham from Wake Forest, like I just mentioned. But there are some sleepers in this class to keep an eye on as well, you say. So I'll start with you. Who is your number one sleeper in this class? My number one sleeper is interesting. I know it's a guy that you mentioned a couple months ago on the podcast when we were talking about just edge rushers throughout the fall. But it's Cam Sample from Tulane. And and what I like about Tulane, or sorry, what I like about Cam Sample is this, right? Is he's versatile. You've seen it just throughout his time at Tulane that he's been all over the field, right? He's been in a couple different spots, all right? Where he really excels, though, is as a run defender. But the issue with him is this, right, is that he's not the most, like, physically gifted player on the planet. So there are a lot of limitations to his game. And what makes Sample my sleeper is that he's kind of like a wild card, right? Just in the sense that you see a guy on tape when you turn on the tape, you see a player that could definitely be starting as a regular defender in the NFL and be a core part of a team's defense. But then on the other hand, there are certain plays where you're like, okay, that was a dumb play right there. He's probably just going to end up being a rotational pass rusher. So with a, overall, the guy like Sample, because of the versatility and the fact that he is a good run defender, right? You have a guy that has, you know, a um, very high ceiling, but then also could just completely fail to live up to his potential. Yeah, I loved uh, Cam Sample down at the senior bowl. He was one of the highest performers there uh, throughout the entire week. I personally like him a lot as an interior rusher, kind of that uh, Roy Robertson-Harris role, uh, you know, to kind of put things into perspective there uh, for Bears fans. Uh, Sample is just a very talented pass rusher, in my opinion. I think he's going to go under the radar here on day two and be a steal because he just – he has a nonstop motor and he just brings a lot to the table. I just love his game so much. Uh, from watching at the senior bowl. Uh, but for my sleeper here, I actually have two guys that kind of fit a similar mold as toolsy pass rushers that kind of stood out to me at the senior bowl as well. And will be available in the fourth, fifth round area. I think two guys with good upside here. And that's William Bradley King out of Baylor and Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa. Uh, with Bradley King, he's a pure edge guy, you know, three, four or four, three defense uh, probably projects better to a three, four, in my opinion. But he has a lot of ways to get to the quarterback. He can convert speed to power. He's shown nice flashes of good hand usage as well. And one of the things I like about his game is that he does a good job of going for strip sacks. So when the quarterback, when he's, when he's attacking the quarterback in the pocket, he's not, not just looking for the sack. He's looking to get the ball. And we've seen that with Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn uh, over the past few years here. You know, that is extremely valuable to have in an edge rusher to just go after that ball and try to create turnovers here from your pass rush. So, that's one of the things I like about Bradley King. And then Ellison Smith here out of Northern Iowa. Uh, you know, I think he's a bit more versatile in terms of where you can play him. He played primarily as a 4-3 defensive end in college, but uh, at the Senior Bowl, he actually showed off the ability to be you know, a guy that can, can kick inside and make plays there as a pass rusher, as an interior rusher. So uh, kind of an interesting tool to have there for a guy that's not really that big, but he has really high level hand uses from what I've seen of his tape. And 
clearly has an understanding of how to use leverage to his advantage. Again, he's not the biggest guy in the world. So knowing how to attack guys who are leaning and knowing how to use his hands to kind of swipe and evade uh, the hands of offensive linemen, it's a very nice thing to have. He's very polished from that aspect of things. But uh, another thing that I really like about him is he had an outstanding pro day as well. Uh, with a 41 and a half inch vertical at his pro day and also a 4.69 40 yard dash as well. So he's a, a very under the radar explosive athlete to go along with his hand usage. So he's a guy that opted out of the 2020 season. Didn't get, didn't get a lot of tape on him there, but you go back and watch the 2019 tape. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. Obviously it was a standout, the senior bowl. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be available on day three. And if you're going to get him there, I mean, that's a steal. I think he's a guy that uh, will be able to contribute at the next level. Maybe he's not a full-time starter, but, you know, as a situational pass rusher depth piece, he can be very valuable, I think, at the next level. Yeah, Ellerson Smith is just really interesting to me as a prospect because, like, you realize, I think when I watch him on tape, right, one of my biggest takeaways is, okay, it's a player who's kind of still filling out his frame and the fact that, yeah, he did play at a smaller school, right? Yeah, he may not have played against the best competition at times, but the reality of the situation is that there's enough traits and tools there where you're like, okay, you know what? He can be a guy that is going to go ahead and eventually develop into a – um you know, into a quality player in the NFL. And I'm not saying he's ever going to be like a pro bowler, a perennial pro bowler, an all pro guy, but just the guy who's good enough to get the job done. And one of the things I think people don't seem to know about Ellerson Smith is the fact that he actually arrived, he was in, when he was in college, right? Because I did research on him as well, just non-football stuff. He got to college, right? And he was just super light. So throughout his time in college, he's put on like 50 or 60 pounds of just muscle to allow him to continue to fill his frame out. So he's one of those guys that you're like, okay, he's clearly going to fly under the radar because... He just did not go to the biggest school. And unless you're consistently scouting these guys, you realize like, okay, you know what? There is a lot to like about his game. And he he kind of reminds me a bit of, um, you know, Bilal Nichols fall a couple of years ago. Cause it's like Bilal Nichols kind of fell. But when you watched him at Delaware, there was still some stuff to like about his game. And you've seen that because he's had a coach who's helped him put it all together, that Nichols has gone on to be a pretty good player for the Bears. And I think that Ellerson Smith's kind of in that same category. Yeah, it's funny. I was able to uh, talk to Ellerson Smith at his pro day and get, you know, some feedback on where, you know, his senior bowl, how he played there. You know, he's a very interesting uh, guy to talk to. Here's a quick snippet of, of Smith answering a question of mine at his pro day to kind of get a, you know, a little bit of a uh, in-depth from him on, you know, where he sees himself going into this draft process, especially with his performance at the senior bowl. Hey, Larson, appreciate your time today. I uh, just wanted to, uh, from the standpoint of, you know, you got a lot of reps at the senior bowl, pass rushing and kicking inside the pass rush on uh, some of the one-on-one, one-on-one reps there. Has that been a conversation with NFL teams in, in regards to, kicking inside for uh, third downs and other passing pass rushing situations? I mean, I think that's something that I showed at the senior bowl. Um, honestly, it's one of the things that uh, I didn't get many reps in college at that. I mean, I, I wouldn't practice, but, um, you know, I think uh, pass rushing is pass rushing. Uh, inside, it's a little bit the, – the moves happen a lot faster, um, you know, and, and you can move up field a little bit more. And 
you have a little bit more space to work with. Uh, inside, the, 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 it, it's happening like right away. So I think that uh, teams are happy with that. Honestly, I was just trying to get as many reps wherever it was, whether that was at one technique, three techniques. I just wanted to show the teams that, you know, I'm ready to play. It didn't matter where it was. I just wanted to show those guys that I want to get out there and show what I could do. So there was Ellison Smith there is kind of giving some nice little feedback there on my question at his pro day. A lot of interesting stuff from what we got from him there. Um, but, you know, we talked about our sleepers here. Now you say, let's get to our overhyped prospect. Who was your number one overhyped prospect at the edge position in this class? So my overhyped guy is actually Jordan Smith from UAB. And it's interesting because you look at him, I mean, he's six foot six, two fifty five. So you would think that just looking off those two measurables right there, a guy who has kind of the tools to be a solid edge rusher. Right. But what, makes him overhyped for me is this right is the fact that he got kicked out of school at florida because he was involved in some sort of like you know fraud scheme there i mean and then all of a sudden you know his journey was weird because he went to junior college then ends up landing at uap where all right yeah he was one of the better defenders in the acc between like 2019 or 2019 yeah 2019 and 2020 all right he was a pretty productive player but what happens is this right is that it's just like he needs to be more aware of what's going on around him. I also think that he needs to learn to develop to rush the passer because there aren't a lot of pass rushing moves in his arsenal that he uses, all right? And so it's just like not just about having the moves, but kind of how do you go about using those moves given whatever situation that you may be in? And so when you look at him, you know, from a measurable standpoint, a really intriguing player, all right, does have some of the tools, but he hasn't put it all together yet, right? And so what he needs to do to put it all together is just, just like I said, learn how to rush the quarterback, get after the – um or I'm sorry, add a couple pass rushing moves to your arsenal, something like a bull rush, for example, right? Learn to convert speed to power. And then you're going to be in a situation where as a developmental guy, as a guy who would be an ideal fit as a three, four edge rusher, you could potentially have something there and kind of translate it really well to the NFL level. Yeah. Jordan Smith is, uh, has a lot of talent, I think. Um, and, he was down there at the senior bowl as well. Uh, clearly he, he flashed quite a bit down there. Uh, clearly there's a lot to work with there. Like you said, if you can put it all together, the upside is there, but he is a bit of a risk. I agree as well. Another guy uh, who's going to be a bit of a risk. If you draft him uh, earlier than you should uh, for me, for my over hype guys is Patrick Jones out of Pittsburgh. So this is somebody that I was really looking forward to watching at the senior bowl. Um, he's a guy that was consistently mocked as a, late first round, uh, early second round talent going into that week. And I feel like that entire week just really soured a lot of people on his upside going to the draft because he was really disappointing down there in Mobile, Alabama. You know, it, it just felt like he was on the wrong end of pretty much every offensive lineman's highlight tape down there. Um, you know, for the one play that really stands out is when Quinn Miners absolutely just bullied him and, and drove him into the ground and, and, and pancaked him basically on a pass rush one-on-one rep down there at the senior bowl. I mean, it was bad. Uh, Patrick Jones, just, and that happened quite a bit too. It wasn't a one-time thing. There was a lot of uh, reps where he just did not look very good. And the one thing that I ask while watching him on tape is, I mean, there are some games where he does look pretty solid, but what is his standout trade? What is something that he can 
fall back on when things don't work out for him at the next level in terms of, you know, maybe if he doesn't add some other things to his package um, early on in his career, what's the one thing that he can stand on? Does he, does he have the speed to threaten the edge? Can he convert speed to power? You know, does he have polished technique? You know, there just isn't that one thing that really stands out to me with Jones. And you just kind of saw it there at the senior bowl that he just did not have, he just wasn't ready at this point, I think, to be a contributor right now. You know, if anything, I thought his teammate Rashad Weaver, you know, impressed a lot more at the senior bowl. In my opinion, going back to watch his tape at Pittsburgh, in my opinion, he's a much better prospect as well. So Patrick Jones really disappointing there uh, for me because I was looking forward to seeing how he would do. Um, and you go back and watch his tape and it, yeah, there just isn't a lot that really impressed me with Jones. So um, he's a guy that could still go on day two, but I think he's more of a day three guy that you kind of hope that works out um, if you need an edge and you just kind of want to throw a dart throw at on day three. Yeah, he's see Patrick Jones is really interesting for me because it's just like when I went back and I watched his tape, you know, and obviously there's just a limited number of tape available because of the COVID pandemic. But like there weren't a lot of instances where I found that like, you know, he was being trusted to like drop back into coverage, right? And so ultimately when we look at him, it's just like for me and Patrick Jones, my honest thoughts are this. I just think like his ceiling at the next level is just kind of being a rotational guy that's going to be in as a run defender in most situations. And so can he start? Yeah, but that's going to take a lot to work with, right? Because it's just like he got bullied at the senior bowl, like you mentioned, and whatever practice clips we saw coming out of Mobile that week in the third week of January, that was very prevalent that it's just like Patrick Jones kind of went into the week. A lot of people were very high on him. And then he had that super disappointing performance. And now all of a sudden, right, it's just like your stock went from day one possibly being a day one guy to all of a sudden dropping all the way down to day three. And so really for him, I just see him being a rotational guy at the next level. Yep. I, I agree as well. And when we look at things from the Bears here in specific, you know, they're going to be looking for rotational guys, which, you know, it's not a bad thing to have, but uh, definitely if you're Patrick Jones, you know, you want to be someone that can establish himself as a starter, but let's transition here to our final topic here uh, or final section, I should say for, our episode here breaking on these edge guys and that's what the Bears should do to address the position going into the draft because I mean yeah you look at this thing here for the Bears you know obviously I think this is low on the totem pole for you know being a position of need because the Bears have already invested a lot into this position group you have Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn obviously with huge contracts there especially Khalil Mack as one of the highest paid edge players in the NFL um, and then they just signed Jeremiah Atuachu to a two-year deal um, so you've invested in that position there once again as your number three guy. And let's not forget, the Bears traded a fourth-round pick, this year's fourth-round pick last year in the 2020 NFL draft to go get Travis Gibson in the fifth round. So he's a guy that had a lot of tools coming out of college, and they're banking on him developing and being a guy that can make a difference for them uh, with that edge group there. So, you know, they've invested a lot in this edge position. They still have some other guys like James Vodders on the roster. They have Cleo Mack's brother as well as the UDFA that they're maybe trying to see if he can develop into anything there. So they have a lot invested in this group. So uh, to me, you say it just isn't a position that should be addressed early at all. Really, I mean, you could argue that really doesn't need to be addressed at all at this point. Yeah, I don't see the Bears taking an edge rusher in this NFL draft because you have far greater needs, right? And it's just like, I've consistently said this. I mean, 
they need to add more to the offense just because at the end of the day, it's an offensive-driven league. But it's just like you look at that defensive side of the ball. Look, you have Robert Quinn making like 14, 15, or I believe it's like 16 million this year. Khalil Max making like 23 or 26 million this year. Okay, then you have Travis Gibson. You have some other young talent on the roster. And so really at the end of the day, it's just like your edge rusher room is kind of maxed out in terms of guys that you're going to go ahead and – you're going to add to it's just like there just doesn't seem to be anyone else that you could add to the roster right and so ultimately when i look at it, it's just like there's no point in the bears adding an edge rusher maybe just maybe if you switch your draft philosophy up and decide i'm going to go best player available on day three and there's a prospect that's too good to pass up on then you go ahead and pull the trigger on that guy because i don't see robert quinn being with the bears beginning in 2022 i just don't see that happening right but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's just like the Bears need to stop investing money into pass rusher here or edge rusher, right? You could actually argue that they've kind of over-invested into it when they signed Robert Quinn last offseason. Yeah, I would say if a, if a guy falls to them on day three, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But fifth round is probably the earliest I would address this position. You know, if they're going to draft anybody, it has to be a toolsy, high upside player. Um, because they need immediate help elsewhere, you know, and, you know, Edge Rusher, Edge Rusher right now is more of a luxury pick at this point. So if you're going to go get a luxury pick, why not have it be somebody with a really high upside that maybe you can develop into something? So I wouldn't mind that late on day three, but the, you know, the hit rate on Edge Rushers on day three of the draft is pretty, pretty low, especially, especially compared to other positions. So, it might just be something where they just kind of punt that position towards next year's draft to address that, considering that, like you said, they probably have to uh, replace Robert Quinn at some point down the line, although they may see Gibson as that guy. So we'll see what happens there. I don't think this is a position that will be uh, getting a lot of attention here for the Bears in this draft. I think they have other needs elsewhere, but it is interesting to keep in mind some of these guys that we went over here because there is some talented players in this class. And if the Bears do get one of these guys, you know, it could make a difference for this pass rush here in, you know, 2021, because, you know, 2020, 2019, the pass rush did take a bit of a step back as a whole. So I think that's a good point to conclude this podcast. You said, uh, you know, for all of our followers and listeners here, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace. Uh, you say, where can they follow you and find your work? Yeah, so you guys can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal, all right? That's actually for all my social media handles. And then just check out my work on the Bear Report. I just dropped an article on or NFL Draft Scouting Report on Florida State cornerback Asante Samuel Jr., who has met with the Bears. So definitely go check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can follow me at AJ Freeman 25 I want to thank our listeners for tuning in on all pod on all channels, I should say, for uh, tuning in here to the Fix for Pace podcast. A lot of stuff is going to be coming here over the next month or so. We're going to be recording another episode this week, actually, uh, to kind of finish these uh, position previews as we kind of get closer and closer to the draft. It's coming up really quickly here, so we want to get in as much as possible before we get to that day on April 29th. So uh, make sure to keep an eye out for those coming up here. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week, Bears fans, and bear down. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.